Whatever Wednesday. Let's do this. Hey, so it's just me today um, for whatever Wednesday. Normally we have Andre with me on this day, so flying solo for a little while longer. Uh, the reason for that is that we've decided to divide and conquer. Um, I'm off to the States next week or just kind of at the end of this week and um, uh, just gone for pretty much 10 days and then, you know, add travel here and there and whatnot. So a decent little uh while and um that schedule is looking pretty full i don't know i might get some podcast recorder while i'm over there and who knows with whom but um just to make sure that uh we're keeping the the baton moving and keeping the fires burning on our uh, ambitious goal to get something out every day um i'm going to i've asked andre if he wouldn't mind just kind of uh running with it for a while doing some solos uh he has graciously um uh, accepted that task or that challenge don't know how you put it but um uh, in the midst of his busy pastoral schedule so that's not easy um, and I get it's a lot to throw at someone but he's um he's in it he's uh he's committed so that's cool it's the first time it's happened too and uh, I, I really enjoy that I think I'm preaching on um, eldership and plurality and uh, the need for it and the wisdom in it and um, I can't help but see a parallel in podcasting there in that it's good to have a team um, because there's actually quite a lot of activity going on even though we're dividing and conquering the other guy of course is Nick and um, and he right now is at uh, the School of Theology with Fred Malone and um, he's gonna try and just investigate a little bit as to who would be eager to uh, sit down and record an episode with him. And he's got access to a few Reformed Baptist pastors in New Zealand and, of course, Fred Malone. So we'll just see what happens there. He doesn't want to beat anyone over the head with a microphone, so <laughs> he's going to just play it by ear and see what he can what he can come up with. So we're going to have some interesting um, episodes coming up, and uh, they're not all going to involve me, which I'm thrilled about. <laughs> uh, it, it's... I do what I do best, you know, I'm kind of getting this thing going, but then I want to give it over and um, don't want to go anywhere, but I just, um, it, it just gives me a genuine kick to see that uh, these guys are taking um, hold of this because this, um, I've really just wanted this to be a, a group thing. And then of course, once the, once the rigmarole is over and we're back settled, we'll get back to our more normal routine. So just so that you're aware of that and you know what's coming up um, and I'm really Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to actually sitting down and downloading some podcasts that I don't know. I don't even know what's coming up and uh, listening to Two Age Sojourner and be a listener while I'm traveling. I'm, I, that is going to be awesome. So um, stay tuned for those things. But um, in the interval, um, I'm going to try and just smack uh, this one and uh, then go straight on to um, Thursday Theology just two little topics buzzing around in my in my head and uh, then you will then I'll go dark for a while and um, I'll hopefully um, Lord willing be back safely and uh, ready to go um, in, in that 10 15 days whatever it is um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about a book by John frame that I've just finished reading called evangelical reunion get it online for free now it used to be published um, I think it was by B Baker or something along those lines. Um, I forget now, I don't have the book in front of me. But um, 
yeah, so anyways, it's, it's out of print, if I'm not mistaken. I think you can get some old copies left um, on Amazon. But generally speaking, you can get it uh, get it on Frame's website, frame-poitrus.com.org, something like that. Google it. And um, yeah, it's um, it's just one of those ones I've, I've wanted to read for a while. And it was a bit of an eye-opener for me, to be honest. It was it just changed. I'm, I'm meeting with, um, with uh, John Frame soon, so I'm trying to get as much as much info about him, you know, in my brain as possible so that the questions that I have the opportunity to talk to him and uh, I don't want my questions to be wasted. I just want to kind of engage on the areas that matter. Um, probably, um, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere close to the things I want to kind of cover, but still, it's just good for me to try and cram as much as I can for this. But uh, Evangelical Reunion has been one of those key, um, beyond his apologetics, that frame is known for, beyond his... Um, you know, uh, systematic theology and all the stuff he, he normally teaches. I think one of the things that Frame is known for, and this kind of arises out of his triperspectival method, maybe more than kind of, um, is his his big tentness, as it were. He um, he has a particular uh, dislike for the truly reformed kind of elitism, and um, a particular desire to see that reformed. Um, theology kind of be more influential amongst the evangelical masses. Now, look, on that on that score, I am so, so, so behind frame. Uh, man, we beat with one heart. Uh, that might sound a little, little too, you know, romantic, but it's just so true. Wow. Um, it, I'll prove it to you. Go and uh, if you Google... Um, a paper I did for the Kelvin Symposium I know, a couple of years back now, it would have been like 2010 or something, even older, I can't remember. But if you if you talk, if you look at, uh, if you Google Calvinism in the emerging church uh, in New Zealand uh, and just put my name in there, uh, a paper will pop up. It was um, a paper I presented at, a, at Grace Theological College, um, as I said, a while back uh, at, at the 500th birthday of John Calvin, a whole bunch of guys that came together for that um, in New Zealand. And, um, and what I spoke about there was just kind of used the opportunity just to get this very idea across. One thing that frustrates and has frustrated me the whole day long with, um, with Reformed theology, especially coming out of, from, you know, from that, from that wider tent into a Reformed, um, confessional denomination is that it's just, yeah, they are sitting on all the gold. You know, they, they've got all the gold. <laughs> they've got the confessions. They've got the gospel. They've got articulate theology. I mean, leave aside the covenant stuff. You've got a million other things that they've just, you know, researched and developed and articulated to the max. And it's just beautiful and perfect and there. And um, anyone who doesn't have that stuff is just aching for it. They don't even know what they want. And yeah, the Reformed tradition is sitting on everything. And yet somehow it's just gotten, it just, it got trapped in reform tradition and amongst this elitist kind of understanding and parochialized and the walls of the reformed churches grew very, very high trying to keep the world out, you know, and um, I don't know, it it just seemed to happen um, across the board. And, um, and look, who's to blame there? Who knows? I mean, certainly <clears throat> evangelicalism is not without its, its blame and share of blame for just departing from truth. 
But, um, you know, it is also true, and I thank God that through things like New Calvinism that so often gets um, mocked and knocked and messed around with, um, at the end of the day, it has been a move that has opened those doors to the treasures of Reformed theology for the evangelical masses. Uh, for that, I'm always thankful. That's kind of what I spoke about a little bit in the um, in the paper that I presented and um, wanted wanted to just encourage old Reformed ministers are sitting in this wealth of information and uh, experience to just try and grow and grab themselves an evangelical young minister as I was. Well, I kind of still am. Let me not get too dramatic, you know, but it seriously was at that point and, um, and had had, you know, I had to work through that at some level without, without having that older guy mentor, you know, who knew, knew his stuff and, and, and was able to just guide me with this very authoritative grasp of the word. Um, and um, I'm not saying I'm not very thankful for the the guy I did do my internship where I love him dearly, but it was really a, a kind of a big brother scenario rather than this grandfather, father slash mentor, you know, guy who's got his PhD in Semitic languages. I mean, that's that's just gangster. You know, if you if you get a guy like that to help you out when you're forming as a, a young minister or one going into ministry, I mean, dude. And yet those guys I just found were not interested or were nowhere to be found. And I was just particularly thrilled in that paper, although the whole thing is quite dead now. In fact, this is kind of funny to read. If you go back and read that paper, um, I'm thrilled with the idea that John Piper, for example, is taking Mark Driscoll under his wing and, and mentoring him. And I believe that did happen for a little bit. But then, of course, uh, we know the rest of the story. <laughs> I mean, someone stopped getting mentored somewhere along the line, but uh, Mark Driscoll just went completely rogue and you know is, is constantly surprising everyone. In fact, just the other day, he came up with a an outlandish um, thing on, uh, man, it just made a bit viral on Twitter and he's just rubbishing reform theology and whatnot. But anyway, so um, leaving that aside, uh, you know, I suppose everyone, you know, there's an anomaly in, in every situation, but that was just the principle. That was the um, situation of the day that I wanted to just kind of direct everyone's attention to, not necessarily Piper or Driscoll, but just the guys in the room. You know, I was, I was, I had an opportunity to talk to a whole bunch of reformed pastors in New Zealand. I'm like, listen, guys, we've got to go grab young guys who are perhaps getting onto the internet and finding out through Piper's ministry or whatever about Calvinism and are going cage stage or not even, you know, just, just, they're going to be rough around the edges. They're going to be, you know, not ticking all the boxes. They haven't dotted all the I's and they haven't crossed all the T's. But here they are, just waiting for someone, just of a fatherly character to come and come and beat them a little bit <laughs> or, or something, you know, just do something to keep them, you know, on the straight and narrow and move them along in a mature direction. And and um, anyway, so that was just kind of the cry of my heart. Now, I didn't actually know that evangelical reunion was largely around this very idea. I mean, maybe it's maybe the better I, the better way to approach it is to say that, I mean, I suppose technically, let's put it this way. Technically, the book is about um, the unbiblical nature of denominationalism. Now, ironically, I actually disagree with Frame at some level there, um, in that I think denominations are good. Or, uh, and what I mean there is, it's not necessarily the polity of a denomination, but but rather that it is it is a real thing that we have differences. Um, and are convicted in different areas and points of theology, and it is difficult. It's a difficult reality of living in a, in a fallen world, and 
with our own sinful hearts. But the bottom line is we do stand before Christ. He is the Lord of our conscience. And um, I think of Reformed Baptist history, for example, there were times when um, you know those those Puritans had to separate. They didn't want to. They loved each other. They separated with tears in their eyes. But they knew, you know, the one group was going infant Baptist or Peter Baptist, and the other group was going Credo Baptist. And each saw their own uh, position well reflected in the Scripture. They tried to wrestle it through. It didn't work. And at the end, they're parting with tears and forming new congregations. As bad as that was, it was right so that the body of Christ could have unity as they worship in different uh, congregations and different fellowships, not eschewing one another, not wanting to... um, you know, showed disunity, and in fact, I think if anything, you see the very opposite. They made every attempt um, by even using the very same language of the Westminster to show this. Though we're though we're in a different um, congregation, though we have a different area of conscience here, or being uh, convicted in a different way, nevertheless, we are one together, and this allows us for a greater unity despite our differences. So, I think denominationalism at some level helps there. Now. Um, I think personally that if after reading that book, if I had to really push frame on that, um, he'd probably agree. I don't think he's denying that. And in fact, he makes a few comments that I think would indicate as much. Um, but, you know, to the degree that we have a, a, an um, agreement there, um, there is also something else that, you know, I think I think if, if that little thing is uh, has a caveat there and, and we just understand that actually, you know, Christ alone is Lord of the conscience, etc. And um, we're not required to be in one massive church, you know, all of Roman Catholicism and that sort of thing. Um, the, the central thesis of the book is basically just against factionalism rather than now uh, or, or factionism. Or oh, I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but you know what I mean, against creating factions. Um, you know, First Corinthians. Um, some follow this, some follow that one. And, um, and, you know that is obviously a bad thing, and um, and to that degree, even it must be acknowledged that at at every level, at every turn, any kind of um, separation is is going to be as a result of sin in some way, right? So I'm not denying that, and I feel like he's just highlighting that, and um, certainly beyond highlighting that point, he is calling for for those who are just elitist and involved in some sort of faction to uh, surrender that immediately or repent of that. And um, some of the parts, some parts of the book are just, you know, he's just dreaming, you know, and I, you know, as much as people knock him for it, I, I've really come to appreciate frame on that. Um, I remember his, like one of the, one of my favorite articles in the whole world is written by frame on the proposal, a proposal for a new seminary. It's called, Oh, man, that has just, and in fact, I just recently read um, Captivity of Ac- Academic Theology as well. Um, I might do another podcast on that one. But anyways, he's he's a dreamer like that, you know, and he's just he's just throwing it out there and going, listen, consider this possibility and consider that and let me ruffle you this way and let me ruffle you that way. So in all those things, amen, 100%. And um, I'm not saying there can't be some ser- some area of critique there, but one thing I think that the book puts forward that absolutely must be heard especially within a reformed crowd, is that um, you just can't, you can't sit on your high horse and 
um, start just dissing other groups. You know, that is a sin. You just can't do that. What have you but that you haven't received by grace alone? You know, if anyone should know that, it's the reform guys. <clears throat> there needs to be a humble willingness to to help and and put out our hands and include and and go big tent as we can. It's not going to be comfortable, and that's fine. Who's in it for comfort? When did comfort ever become the thing? Um, my goodness, you know, just just get ready to get uncomfortable and let people, you know, in a little bit, and so that they might have access to the treasures that you believe are biblically accurate in your confessions and that sort of thing. So, you know, that's the kind of um, the the drum, you know, that he's beating in that book. So I would recommend that everyone reads that. Um, obviously, everyone's going to have a few little points here and there that they're like, oh, that's too far, that's too much. But I actually came, I, I finished that last page, and I was like, you know what? Every Reformed person has to read this. I think in some sense... Um, it's just it's just mandatory reading. It's just uh, thank God for John Frame on that point, you know. Um, and so there we go. Um, there's a little ooze for you. Um, um, I think that's just crucially, crucially important. Um, I think also that you know once once you have that in play, like m- maybe what I should say as well is just this is one of the reasons. Like I, I've really lived in this world. I feel. And um, and what I mean there is that I, I'm in the Reformed Baptist camp, you know, confessional, 100%. And then, you know, in Acts 29, and it's it's bigger, it's more diverse. It's, you know, a lot of faithful brothers there, a lot of brothers, that, you know, we just completely, uh, you know, if we had to sit down and talk theology, we'd, we'd probably get quite angry at each other. Um, and in fact, sometimes we do. In fact, we do all the time. And yet we are able to continue on in unity and love because we're not running away from the issues. We're talking through the whole thing. Um, but there's this great cross-pollination that happens. There's this, this awesome um, uh, environment that, that, is, that is in place for unity and growth. Uh, no, one's, no one's, you know, um, the, the, the Acts 29 idea or network allows for, for a... Um, you know, each each to hold to their own confessions, and you know they're going to have a basic sort of reformed uh, or Calvinistic, I should say, uh, uh, unity. But in, in general, it's it's um, it's going to be pretty pretty diverse. So now the the point I'm making there is that I've I've seen that and I've seen the health that comes from it, and I've seen the lack of health that comes from just eschewing those kinds of things. Just saying no, nope, don't want it, don't want it. It's too offensive. The one little I is not dotted properly, so you know what? I'm never going to hang out with those guys. I'm not even going to talk to them. Not even going to uh, hear what they have to say. Well, as soon as that starts happening, I mean, something sinful is happening, and um, I, I feel it. I feel like the lack of health that comes to me personally, and I think GraceNet, the church I pastor, would suffer uh, as a result of that kind of attitude. Uh, the the more obviously there's a line, everyone's got to draw it, and there is going to be a separation, and certainly separation from the world is that ultimate separation, but you know, there is going to be a line and no one's denying that, but you know, you've got to try and push that out. You can't just let that line fall exactly where you feel comfortable. It's just doesn't work like that. You're not, you're not good enough. You're not, um, well balanced enough to be able to do that. You have to work against yourself just a little bit. Um, and I think if everyone just did that, we would live in a more unified church. I mean, you don't have to get rid of denominations, uh, to, to make that, a conceivable reality you just have to, everyone just has to be willing to 
especially the guys with good doctrine. You know, if they feel they have good doctrine, they have to be willing to stretch out their hands and include people and help people and take people in and, you know, and be be cut up a little bit as as those spikes get a little bit too close to you. Um, and so, you know, there we go. Um, frame, I think, really pushes that. In fact, it's kind of like one of those, I think that I said earlier, every reformed person must must read Frame, years, uh, read this book, Evangelical Reunion. Um, and I would say also that anyone coming into the Reformed faith, uh, perhaps as I did, you know, I would tell myself this however many years ago, getting quite a few now, but, um, you know, what, like 15 years ago, something like that. As I, as I was coming in, um, I would tell, if I, could, if I could write myself an email or just phone myself in the past, I would say, listen, you have to, you have to, have to, have to read this book because it's going to keep Reformed theology from destroying your church in terms of its health. It's going to keep Reformed theology from uh, suffocating you, though, though the theology itself would never do that. There's something about the culture, something about the ethos that if you imbibe uncritically, uncritically you're going to end up in trouble. Now, thankfully, by God's grace, there were just certain things in place that allowed me to have the wherewithal to do that. But a book like this would have been supremely helpful, and I didn't know about it. So there we go. If I'm speaking to someone right now who's coming in from the wider evangelical thing and getting interested in Reformed theology, read that book and uh, interact with it. Make sure that that's always in the back of your mind. Don't just jump onto the Reformed bandwagon and then start, you know, dissing the other people like, you know, like you finally arrived and, uh, you know, no one else knows what's going on. Just think, Bible, what have you received that was not given to you by grace alone? And if you have received truth, then how, I mean, to what degree does it then become you to, to be extremely humble about that and open your hands to those who might, might still be in a phase you were in a few years ago? Whatever. And even realizing that you've still got a while to go before you've arrived. And actually, no one arrives until we get to glory. So uh, let's keep all those things in mind. Anyways, I'm, I'm not saying it nearly as well as Frame does, but amen. Love this book. Uh, Evangelical Reunion. Uh, go get it. Google it. Uh, Frame-poitrus.org, I think. I probably got that wrong, but whatever. Uh, go read it. Uh, that's a great thing to read for whatever Wednesday. Bless you guys. I will talk to you uh, again tomorrow. Mm-hmm.